Hello and welcome to the JNA podcast on anesthetic management of endovascular treatment of acute ischemic stroke during the COVID-19 pandemic. This is Dr. Shobhana Rajan from the Trainee Engagement Committee of the SNAC. This article is a consensus statement from the Society for Neuroscience in Anesthesiology and Critical Care. This manuscript will be available online and published in the July 2020 issue of the Journal of Neurosurgical Anesthesiology. The primary author of the consensus guidelines is Dr. Deepak Sharma and he is here with us today to give an overview of this article. Dr. Sharma needs no introduction. He is the current dynamic president of the Society of Neuroscience and Anesthesiology and Critical Care. He is also the Virginia and Prentice Bloedel Professor and Division Chief of Neuroanesthesiology and Perioperative Neurosciences and Program Director of the Neuroanesthesia Fellowship at the University of Washington at Seattle. Thank you Dr. Sharma for not only creating these timely guidelines but also uh, being making some time available to be with us um to record this podcast on this trending topic. Thank you very much Dr. Rajan. Um it's a pleasure to be here with you today. So Dr. Sharma, what was the need for this consensus statement? Can you describe the process of developing this multi-society consensus? Yeah, so so that's actually a very important question Dr. Rajan. So um you know, as, as you're aware, we currently have an information overload. There's a lot of uh, guidelines and and uh, uh and protocols being created by several organizations and departments. And we at SNAC decided um to be very careful and very picky about um our focus here. And um the need for a consensus statement specifically for endovascular treatment of ischemic strokes came up uh largely uh because first of all stroke is a leading cause of uh, morbidity and mortality globally. And then there's some data that uh during COVID-19 there may actually be an increase in in the number of strokes. Uh we have some data from the past SARS experience about large vessel occlusions. And there's a, a recent study from China um from the COVID-19 era uh documenting a 5% uh uh incidence of ischemic strokes in in COVID patients. So while during the pandemic most of the elective surgeries um have been stopped, uh it seems that the stroke thrombectomies will have to continue. This was largely the impetus for our focus on this area. At the same time we we noted there was uh Uh, a sudden change in practice at several places uh, which led to uh, the members of snack reach out to us requesting for some guidance and at the same time we were also in conversation with leaders of uh, societies for uh, neurointervention uh, specifically SNIS the society for neurointerventional surgery and society of uh, vascular and interventional neurology SVIN uh, and we quickly realized that it was important for all groups to come together and and come up with a consensus on the topic. Um in terms of the process for developing this uh, consensus, um we were lucky at SNAC that we already have a group of uh, stroke anesthesia experts uh who actually have already doing already been doing some work in the field of stroke anesthesia. Uh and the SNAC leadership then decided to commission a task force which comprises of of these stroke anesthesia experts who very importantly represent geographic diversity 
So the members of this task force include uh, Dr. Ruquan Han from China, Dr. Mads Rasmussen uh, from Denmark, Drs. Uh, Melinda Davies and uh, Lakshmi Kumar Venkatraguan from uh, Canada, and Drs. Matthew Whalen and Andrew Kofke from the United States. So the approach we took was uh, we took advantage of Zoom conferences. We had a quick meeting to discuss uh, the aim and scope of the consensus. We recognized that uh, the timeline was really critical here. And very early on, I approached leaders of uh, other societies, uh, including SNIS, SVIN, uh, the Neurocritical Care Society, American Association of Neurological Surgeons, uh, the Congress of Neurological Surgeons, and also the European Society for Minimally Invasive uh, Neurological Therapy. And essentially, the task force first had uh, discussions with some broad agreements, we started circulating a document. We actually took advantage of the different time zones and, and actually had the first draft ready within 48 hours with the final one ready in about um, four days, which was then circulated to the endorsing groups uh, that looked at the document. They had their own internal discussions, provided us with some useful feedback, and then the task force incorporated those suggestions to come up with a final consensus. Thank you, Dr. Sharma, for leading this excellent collaboration between various experts all over the world. So um, you did mention that there is going to be a higher risk of stroke during the COVID-19 pandemic. Is there a particular reason why you are likely to think that way? Do you think it is related to the pathophysiology of the disease? So, uh, you know, there's uh, limited data specifically from the current uh, pandemic about the risk of stroke. As I mentioned earlier, there's this one study from China uh, which looked at uh, uh, the presentations and the complications in patients with uh, COVID, and it demonstrated that about 14 to 15% patients may have associated cerebrovascular and cardiovascular conditions, and about 5% patients may have the risk of ischemic strokes. We don't have similar data from the current pandemic from either Europe or from the United States. But anecdotally, it's been the observation of uh, several stroke centers that they are seeing um, a similar or an increased number of cases uh, where the patients require an emergent thrombectomy for, for stroke. In general, COVID-19 has been uh, recognized as a hypercoagulable state. Uh, there has been recognition of other thromboembolic complications also. Um, and that led us to believe um, that there is an anticipation of uh, risk of uh, uh, stroke and therefore the need for endovascular intervention uh, in these patients. So it looks like we all need to gear up as anesthesiologists and be ready to take care of these stroke patients. So um, my next question to you is, what are the special considerations we need to keep in mind when taking care of a patient presenting for emergent endovascular treatment of an acute ischemic stroke? So, um, you know, based on the consensus uh, document, I would say we have to keep in mind that we are dealing with a very time-sensitive uh, uh, medical condition here. So timeliness of care is really important. It's really critical that um, early reperfusion be accomplished uh, as effectively as possible. 
At the same time, given uh, the ongoing pandemic, we have to also focus on the protection of our healthcare providers who are exposed to the risk of, uh, uh, of, of this infection. And at the same time, we have to account for the resource availability, which, uh, which can significantly be compromised. And at the same time, I would say accounting for these factors, um, an individual or an organization obviously has to take into account uh, their own healthcare practices and protocols and pathways that uh, they have been used to. So essentially, it requires a consideration for patient safety, safety of the healthcare providers and resources uh, to still provide uh, timely care uh, for early reperfusion um, uh, in these patients. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, the choice of anesthetic technique, MAC versus general anesthesia for stroke thrombectomy. Now, this topic has been controversial for many years, and there is some recent evidence demonstrating superiority of general anesthesia over MAC. How should we be taking care of these patients in the light of the COVID pandemic? So, so that's, that's a very good question. Um, the first part of your question, Dr. Rajan, is about the choice of anesthetic technique in general. And, and as you mentioned, uh, this whole uh, area about whether general anesthesia or monitored anesthesia care should be preferred in patients with uh, stroke requiring uh, emergent thrombectomy has been very controversial, at least for the last decade. Now, fortunately, uh, there have been uh, prospective randomized studies which actually have shown uh, at least, I would say, uh, non-inferiority of general anesthesia uh, over monitored anesthesia care. And if you look at the carefully done meta-analyses of these prospective randomized controlled trials, we do find that there may actually be an advantage of general anesthesia over monitored anesthesia care. Now, in the light of the COVID pandemic, the big concern um, that a lot of providers were having was that these patients come into the hospitals um, oftentimes without uh, enough time for testing them for COVID. So care has to proceed in the absence of uh, a formal diagnosis of COVID. Uh, In other words, uh, we're not able to rule out COVID in a lot of these patients, and therefore we have to proceed assuming that the patients may in fact be positive uh, for the coronavirus. Uh, What that means is the anesthesiologists have to uh, quickly make a choice of uh, the anesthetic technique um, and, and, and then proceed. I would say that the major goal uh, uh, for endovascular therapy during COVID is to prevent um, any emergent conversion from monitored anesthesia care to general anesthesia during the procedure. Because in that situation, we have a relatively uncontrolled scenario uh, where intubation or airway management has to occur. And this can have a higher risk, not only for the patient, but also for the anesthesiologists and actually everyone in the interventional radiology team. So I would say, um, broadly speaking, uh, during the COVID pandemic, uh, as we take care of these patients, uh, the anesthesiologists have to carefully select their patients uh, to administer general anesthesia and monitored anesthesia care. The task force has recommended that the overall goal be to to prevent emergent conversion from MAC to GA. And that might mean having a lower threshold 
to use general anesthesia in these patients. But I will emphasize again that despite all these limitations, it is really critical that we avoid delays as much as possible, although it's understandable that there will be some uh, minor delays to account for safety of staff. Um, and, and while we do all these things, we still need to make sure that the physiological perturbations are avoided. Specifically, uh, the blood pressure is maintained adequately and oxygenation is maintained, um, as always, for patients with stroke. Thank you. I also really like the decision tree uh, that is available in the manuscript. So would you recommend uh, full personal protective equipment, whether we do a MAC or a general anesthesia? Yes. Um, as I said earlier, uh, most of these patients will have to proceed without enough time to test. And so the patients will be either unknown COVID status or um, at, at max, they would be under investigation for COVID at the time of uh, endovascular intervention. So in order to best protect the staff, the consensus document does recommend using airborne precautions irrespective of whether the patient receives uh, general anesthesia or monitored anesthesia care. Sure. Now, if general anesthesia is chosen, how is it different from what we normally do? Should we induce anesthesia in the interventional radiology suite, or should we induce in a different place, like a negative pressure room may be close to the emergency department before transferring the patient to the interventional radiology suite? So, so that, that's a very good question. And, and uh, as I said earlier, we have to keep three things in mind as we make these decisions. First of all, timeliness of care. Secondly, protection of the healthcare workers. And third, the resource availability. So in terms of the specific details of general anesthesia, uh, the physiological goals are the same. And in fact, it has to be a higher focus on making sure that uh, we maintain those goals uh, diligently. So that's really important. Uh, the consensus document at this point is not making any recommendations to use one anesthetic agent or the other. However, the primary focus is on the process of uh, induction of general anesthesia and, and all the anesthetic interventions. So as we all know, um, the big risk is, uh, is the one associated with aerosolization. And several anesthesia interventions, specifically intubation, uh, disconnections of the breathing circuit, suctioning through the tracheal tube, and at the end of the procedure, extubation in particular, uh, are associated with a higher risk of aerosolization, which can create a risk for uh, for the anesthesiologist and the intervention radiology staff. So the emphasis is to to minimize uh, these these risks as much as possible. And the general recommendation for inducing anesthesia in any patient who is uh, suspected to uh, to have contracted uh, the COVID infection is to to use a negative pressure room. Um, however, uh, we are also aware that the vast majority of the institutions do not have negative pressure facilities in their IR suites. And so that makes it uh, logistically challenging to do the induction of anesthesia in, in the IR suite itself. So, so what the consensus uh, task force recognized was that there may be an opportunity to use a negative pressure location elsewhere in the hospital, particularly in the emergency department, prior to bringing the patients to the IR suite if general anesthesia was selected for these patients. Now, it does create some complexity because this means that 
the selection of patients for general anesthesia has to be made uh, fairly early on um, as they're present in the hospital, and it requires a close collaboration between uh, the anesthesiologists, the emergency physicians, neurologists, and interventionalists to make this call early on and then to induce anesthesia um, in a safe negative pressure location before the patient is transported um, to the IRSU. And uh, what about uh, monitor anesthesia care? What are the recommendations for MAC during the COVID pandemic? So, uh, again, the recommendation is primarily based on the fact that there will be a minimum uh, need to convert uh, MAC to general anesthesia. So, despite that, we do anticipate that a lot of patients will still continue to safely receive receive monitored anesthesia care. Um, however, there needs to be an extra caution while using uh, monitored anesthesia care uh, for these patients. The primary goal, again, being to protect the healthcare personnel against any possible infection and at the same time uh, preventing uh, or avoiding a situation where an emergent conversion to general anesthesia may be required. So what this means is, uh, uh, the patient, while receiving uh, monitored anesthesia care, should wear a regular surgical mask. Now, uh, they will require oxygen sometimes, but uh, it is recommended that uh, low-flow oxygen uh, should be used, and uh, the nasal prongs can be placed under the surgical mask uh, so that the patient can breathe uh, comfortably. At the same time, it is very important to, to use... Uh, only as much sedation as necessary. Uh, again, we are not making recommendations for one specific pharmacological agent over the other. Uh, the task force recommends that uh, the anesthesiologists continue to use the agents that they are most familiar with. But what's more important here is that uh, we should aim to avoid the need for uh, any sort of airway interventions. Even things like insertion of uh, oropharyngeal airway or the use of jaw thrust or chin lift uh, can require the anesthesiologist to get really close to the patient's airway, uh, which may not be safe. Um, sure. And that's sort of the primary uh, precaution that's required under monitored anesthesia care. Mm. I think you already did touch upon uh, avoidance of conversion, urgent conversion from MAC to general anesthesia, but if that were to happen, uh, what, what should we keep in mind? What, what are the task force recommendations? So uh, the urgent conversion from MAC to GA obviously is, uh, is, is challenging irrespective of uh, the COVID pandemic. But uh, what the task force recommends is that, uh, again, a lower threshold uh, should be used uh, to convert from uh, MAC to GA before the situation gets, uh, uh, you know, quote, unquote, out of control. And um, this will happen uh, either because of a change in the patient's clinical condition from the respiratory standpoint um, or, or the neurological standpoint or because of a procedure-related complication. But what the task force recommends is that if, if such a condition were to, to arise, that uh, the, uh, the conversion to GA be done very carefully. And what that means is... Uh, all the non-essential personnel should leave the room, and the anesthesiologist should stay inside with airborne precautions, um, 
with uh, obviously help as needed. And the most experienced provider uh, should should perform a rapid sequence induction using medullary endoscopy um, uh, to make sure the airway is quickly secured. Now, as always, uh, with patients with ischemic strokes, uh, it's important that uh, hemodynamic perturbations be avoided. So vasopressors and inotropes should be immediately available uh, to secure the airway. And uh, once the patient is uh, intubated, uh, uh, the ventilation should be should be managed as as usual to maintain uh, normoxia and avoiding any hyper or hypocarbia. Um, and once general anesthesia has been induced, from there on, it is again important uh, to ensure that any disconnections of the breathing circuits should be minimized, um, uh, and any suctioning uh, should be done uh, very carefully, uh, if at all needed. And uh, that's sort of the main main things one has to keep in mind uh, while converting from MAC to general anesthesia. Thank you for that uh, excellent description of all the uh, guidelines on the consensus statement. Now, um, we do need to collaborate with a number of departments within the hospital to make sure that all these recommendations are followed and these cases go on seamlessly. So how would you um, recommend that we do that? So that's that's really a very important uh, question, Dr. Rajan. So uh, while the task force recognizes that um, any emergent airway interventions, specifically emergent conversion from MAC to general anesthesia, has to be avoided, we are very aware of the fact that there is a huge variability in the institutional practices for anesthetic management of stroke. There are there are uh, uh, institutions where all patients routinely receive general anesthesia. There are institutions where most of the patients routinely uh, receive monitored anesthesia care, and then there are other institutions where both techniques are equally offered. So what we are very carefully recommending is that each institution and each group of practitioners should carefully evaluate their existing practice and then incorporate the changes we are recommending, and that they place a special emphasis on avoiding any drastic changes uh, to their existing uh, you know, care uh, pathways. And and for this to work, we, we highly recommend that um, just as we had a multidisciplinary uh, consensus of all the professional societies, that there be actually multidisciplinary deliberations within each institution between different departments to come up with a plan for uh, what might work for them locally. Uh, this obviously will require a lot of uh, uh, education across different departments because uh, Several teams will need to work uh, um, differently compared to how they currently practice, uh, and only then should these changes be be implemented. Uh, at the same time, the task force also recommends that uh, the quality measures for for stroke, uh, specifically patient level outcomes, should be very carefully monitored uh, as any changes in practices are implemented uh, to to quickly identify any significant. Uh, changes to patient level outcomes and therefore uh, further changes uh, that may be required to to uh, to the practice patterns. Thanks, Dr. Sharma, for uh, connecting all the dots with respect to acute stroke during this COVID pandemic and creating this unique manuscript. I'm sure that a lot of uh, physicians and anesthesiologists would find this extremely useful for their practice. And um, and this podcast would be a great 
quick way to review things uh, before one actually um, puts all these guidelines into practice. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Dr. Rajan. And, you know, I, I would like to mention that I'm, I'm, on behalf of the entire task force, we are very grateful to our journal, the Journal of Neurosurgical Anesthesiology, and our editor-in-chief, uh, Professor Martin Smith, for, uh, for working with us very closely through the development of uh, this consensus and for expediting its publication in our journal to help us reach uh, as many providers as possible. And thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you.